What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 184, and we'll be talking about Stargate Atlantis' episode, Letters from Pegasus. Letters from Uh, Pegasus. hmm. Hi, friends. We're an independent podcast. And if you like what we got going on, you can support us if you wish. We've got uh, we got that ability through buymeacoffee.com slash walking through. Or you can go to our website at WTTS dot space space. And you can click on the coffee cup icon on the bottom right corner. It works on mobile. It works on desktop. It works. I suppose it might work if you find some service that hand renders the website mails it to you you indicate where you would want to click mail it back and then the resulting file you know the screen would then be rendered to you and mailed to you and then you would indicate where you wanted to click and then send that back i suspect that would work as well but it probably would take a little bit longer however the point is that you can do that on any way that you access the internet Click on that little coffee cup icon. You can buy one coffee or five coffees or a thousand cod. Doesn't matter. Uh, any coffee. It's great. Thank you so much for the support. We really yes. appreciate that. If you really like what we've got going on there, you can click around there somewhere. I can't remember if it's you click on the name of the website or somewhere else. But the point is, is that we have these things called memberships. Memberships in the buy me a coffee world works an awful lot like Patreon, where you subscribe and you get stuff. We kind of just have one tier. It's called the general fund we're running it like public radio like you know like we've got costs they are real if you want to help offset them that's great joe join in there if you don't it doesn't matter it's still happening um i guess unlike public radio we are no no exactly like public radio we have many funding sources (laughs) whereas in public radio i think their primary funding source is uh contributions ours is not um but (laughs) If you want to offset that, that's fine. That's that's where you can go do that. We also have uh, things called wish lists. Now, we put up a couple of like technology wish list items on there, uh, but we also put up, uh, you know, a quote fun wish list item, which was that, um, you know, after I think it's one hundred and fifty bucks, if one hundred and fifty dollars rolls in the door, we will commit ourselves to watching two more episodes of the non-canonical animated Stargate series, Stargate Infinity widely regarded as the worst Stargate imaginable. And uh, we are about a quarter of the way. Well, no, I mean, we're kind of close to halfway, I suppose. Anyway, point is, is that we will watch two more episodes and uh, provide our uh, thoughts on those things right here on this very podcast feed. And hey, Zach, guess what? Yes. We have to say thanks to Kevin. We do have to say thanks to Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. he contributed to our pain. So if you want to join Kevin in contributing to our pain, you can go. Well, maybe my pain. I don't know about Zach. Um, I, I don't have near as much pain with this as you do. Um, <laughs> th- that's not to say that I especially enjoy the show, but uh-huh. but it, it doesn't it doesn't like harm me physically and emotionally <laughs> like it apparently does you. <laughs> well, if you if you want to uh, if you want to join on the uh, I think I've made this comparison before. I feel like I'm a person on a seat in a dunk tank at a you know county fair. So if you want to throw a baseball and hit the paddle and make me fall in the water, then uh, go to our site, uh, wtts.space. Space! And click on the coffee cup and navigate in yep. there, and you can find the yep. wishlist item and contribute there, too. The, the, the key to remember there is that when you go to the website and click on the coffee cup, that gives you the 
the buy me a coffee widget on our website. Yes. And in order to do the memberships and whatnot, you do need to uh, click on our name. Yes. Up at the top of that widget to actually get into the buy me a coffee website, which allows you to do memberships and and yes. wish lists and such. Yes. And if you want to navigate directly, buymeacoffee.com slash walking through. But that's a lot of that's a lot of letters versus WTTS dot S-P-A-C-E. Like that's yeah. true. That's piece of cake. So uh, Brent, yeah. I have a question for you. Uh, yes. So you mentioned watching Infinity as like being in a dunk tank and uh-huh. and having <laughs> waiting for somebody to, to throw that. And so my question for you, have you ever actually yeah. done that? I've never done a dunk tank. No, I've never I've never been the unfortunate recipient. Have you? I have actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. How'd it go? Uh, you know, it was it was fine. Um, you got wet. Yeah, you get wet. I mean, it's it it's not that. I mean, so assuming the weather is nice. Yeah, um, yeah. It can be uh, 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 a not unpleasant experience. Yes. Uh, the only time that it, I didn't enjoy it, um, I mean, there's there's some some nerve wracking going on there, right? But yeah, and and generally speaking. You you have people who are paying attention to this, but there was once when I was climbing, I just gotten dunked, and we reset the the the, the chair, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was climbing up, yes, and this is the time when you're not supposed to be throwing the balls, and some <laughs> kid, <laughs> yeah, hit it, yeah, and so you know my arm was on that seat, pushing up, trying to get myself up there. And yes. all of a sudden that went out and that hurt. Oh, because yeah, I, see I that. scraped things and it, you know, yes. it jerked my arm out of in weird places. That yeah. wasn't pleasant. Yeah. No. But um, you know, I mean, you do have to pay attention, figure out where where the sweet spot is for you. Because if you sit too far back on that and you fall, then you'll scrape your the back of your thighs yeah. on that when you go down. So you just have to sit uh, you know, near the end of that. So yeah. You know, so that when you fall, it gets out from under you and all you have to do is go into the water and you're fine. So this is this is excellent. This is excellent advice. This is great coaching. So for any of you listeners who find yourself in a dunk tank. That's right. You won't you know, be I, I've experienced novice. this. These are my recommendations for you, dear <laughs> listener, who find themselves in a dunk tank. Um, oh, that's awesome. That's good yes. advice. Thank you for that. Yeah, Absolutely. Glad so, uh, finding a way to segue from dunk tanks to where you can find our podcast. So, if you are wearing waterproof headphones and you got your waterproof uh, device and you're you're in your dunk tank and you're just trying to find no, not you. If someone you know is sitting on a dunk tank chair with waterproof headphones and their waterproof device and they're literally <laughs> scrolling trying to find something to listen to while people are hucking baseballs at a little target to to, to send them in and they look over to you and they say. Uh, do you have any good Stargate podcasts that you'd recommend? You can look at them and you can say, actually, yes, I do. You can go to, oh, wait, sorry, you're in the water. Hold on. Let's get you back out. Yep. Okay. Okay. You can go find their podcast on Apple Podcasts and Sp- oh, walking through the Stargate. You find Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and my personal, oh, wait, you're in the water again. All right, you're back up. It doesn't happen that often. I mean, generally speaking. No, Most this, of the time, the, you've got like three-year-olds throwing these things. No, yeah. And but even this, if they hit the target, they don't actually have enough force to make you fall. It happens to be Jimmy from the local Little League team, and he's going to go pro someday. So he's he's nailing this oh, guy. Oh, okay, the, okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of a doubt there. He's in the water again. Oh, man. All right. Well, okay. So, uh, okay, okay. 
Ah. My personal favorite, podcast aggregators. You know what that is. Type in walking through the Stargate and you'll be able to feel exactly. Yep, you'll be able to find. Oh, sorry. Water. Okay. Okay. All right. Yes. But importantly, we would say to them, our podcast has recently been featured on Amazon Podcasts. It has. It's amazing to me. Uh, a person kind of has to do some digging <laughs> before they find it. <laughs> but technically, you could go to Amazon Music and you could go to the podcast and you could go to the TV and film section. And you could scroll down to uh, like featured. I can't remember if that's what it is. But anyway, we're there. We're right there. Um we had, uh, you know, the our podcast hoster was all like, hey, if you want your podcast featured on Amazon, fill out this form. Maybe they'll pick you. So I filled out the form and they picked us. So uh, I, it was it David who insisted that we get on Amazon podcast. I can't remember who was the person that kind of finally forced me to, to make it happen. But um, I, I don't remember. I, it I happened. Think, yeah. And and now and now we're there. So I don't know. I don't know what that'll result in. Hi, if if you're listening to our podcast right now. And it's because you found our podcast on Amazon featured podcast things. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. Uh, just know that uh, I am on record as hating Amazon. So, you know, there's that. We've got that going for us, which is nice. But no, um, hey, no, just, just to be like clear, it. I mean, while I am not really a fan of Jeff Bezos, yeah, I appreciate the, the convenience and the opportunities that Amazon provides for acquiring things that I can't normally get in sure. the middle of nowhere, Iowa. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I'm a grumpy old man who still orders things from Amazon. So in that regard, I'm also kind of hypocritical, but I'm just I'm just me. Got to be me. That's all there is to it. Yep. So it's a lot easier for you to be you than for you to be somebody else. Oh, yeah. I've tried to be somebody else. It did not work out well. It doesn't work well. No, no, no. You just end up really not happy with yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if, if you want to be somebody else, then get into acting in a community theater or something and then be somebody else for a little bit of time on stage and then get off stage and be your normal self again. Yeah. That's the best way of doing that. Yeah. I mean, I, I hardly even play like I, I usually play an exaggerated version of the best person I want to be when I'm doing role playing. It's it's theatrical in its own way, but I just can't I can't get myself into whatever. Uh, There's a reason I don't play lawful good characters or evil characters in role playing games because I cannot be lawful good and I also really can't be evil. No, no. Oh, Zach, uh, earlier, Zach and I were talking about Baldur's Gate 3. I'm playing it. It's a lot of fun. I got to tell you, though, the story overall, at least through the first act and a half, feels like you trend like. Two thirds evil, one third good most of the time. <laughs> I mean, it's not pure evil. You can do that. And I suppose you could be pure good, but I, but most of the story seems to kind of pitch you more towards the evil. It's fine. It's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it, but whatever. Yeah. Um, Zach. Yes, Brett. If a person wants to reach out and let us know that they are literally sitting on a dunk take seat right now, typing out an email to us while getting into the water because their friend had told us to go find our podcast in that nonsensical way that I was talking about earlier. How might they reach out and let us know that? So if you have ever been in a dunk tank and want to share your experiences of being in a dunk tank or have ever played a role playing game when your character has been in a dunk tank and has experienced that in that regard, uh, whether that character was evil or good, it doesn't matter, whatever. Uh, You can share your stories with us and with the Internet. Well, with us 
uh, by yes. emailing uh, walking through the stargate at gmail.com. <laughs> yes. You can also go to the Facebooks, the Facebook page, the Facebook group, Walking Through the Stargate. And yes. then you can share your uh, stories there. And if you do that, then that is kind of showing it to the internet. Um, oh, or yeah. you can go to the Discords and join us on the Discords and you can share your story there. Yep, and then, that, then you can the share it with, with the whole Walking Through the Stargate community that is on the Discords mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and ha- participate in the, the fun conversations that we have there. Yep. And where can they find that link for the Discord? Uh, and if you wanted to find the Discord link... Then you can go to their website, which is WTTS.space. Space! And then in the top right corner, there is the Discord link, and you hit that button, and that takes you right over there to the Discords, and, you know, there you go. There you go. Ta-da. You're there. Ta-da. Okay, Brent. Yeah? We should probably stop talking about dunk tanks and stop talking about role-playing games and start yeah. talking about Stargate Atlantis. Yes. So. Letters from Pegasus. Letters from Pegasus. This episode is directed by none other than Mario as a party. Yeah. Ho, ho. The big yes. guy himself. The, the, none other than Mario as a party himself. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. is his fourth of four credits for Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, he did 38 minutes. He did suspicion. He did hot zone. This yep. is his final SG, uh, f- final Atlantis uh, directing credit. And subsequently, it's his final Stargate Ah, uh, thank you, Mario, as a party. Yes, Good thank work. you very much. You were there literally in the beginning. Yes, of both. Um, yep. Uh, he didn't direct the first episode of this episode of this season. Of this no, but he was right. He was he was what third? I mean, like yep. it was yep. it was early. That's true. That's true. The teleplay for this episode is by Carl Binder. Mm-hmm. This is his second of two credits this season. He did before I sleep. Uh-huh. I'm pretty okay. sure I didn't look that closely. I'm pretty sure he's got other credits in future um, future seasons. Very good. We have several guest actors to talk about. Uh, Paul McGillian as Dr. Carson Beckett. David Nickel as Dr. Radek Zelenka. Mm-hmm. Ben Cotton returns as Dr. Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. the guy we love to hate. Yep. Uh, Dean Marshall shows up as Sergeant Bates. Yep. And we say hello to none other than SG-1 uh, lead actress Amanda Tapping as Lieutenant yeah. Colonel Samantha Carter. Uh-huh. And our very own Gary Jones, who is Master show. Sergeant Walter Radar Harriman. Yeah. I will say that I noticed Amanda's name on the guest actor cards at the beginning. And it was like, oh, okay. All right. Cool. And then what, what did we get? Five, 10 seconds <laughs> you get one word atlantis <laughs> yeah uh i think she's didn't she say something before whatever not much not we much get much no but she's there that she's there um we do say hello to terrence kelly who plays Orin. uh-huh he was born in 1944 in toronto ontario he's known for watchmen in 2009 walking tall in 2004 and mccabe and ms miller Oh, in cool. 1971. I've seen that movie once. It's a good one. I think it's a Robert Altman film, if I remember right. Uh, could be. I can't remember. Um, we actually have seen him before. He played Miles Hagen in SG-1's Season 7 episode, Space Race. Uh, he was one of the um, uh, the commentaries on the Space Race that was ah. called Commentators. <laughs> um, I think he was part alien in that so he had some yeah. makeup on going he was under some makeup yeah 
Yeah. Uh, you know, his first IMDb credit came in 1963 in the TV series Shoestring Theater in the episode The Maker of Dreams. Ah, okay. Um, and then we have Manami Hara, who plays Miko. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was known for Atlantis, the 4400, and I'll Be Home for Christmas. Mm. Nice. Uh, she only has nine IMDb acting credits, so mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know much else about her career. Uh, if I recall correctly, her Atlantis credit was the second to last credit she had. Mm-hmm. Um, her first IMDb credit came in 93 in the TV movie Liar, Liar Between Father and Daughter. Huh. I don't know anything about that movie. Is that, but is that a spinoff of Liar, Liar, the Jim Carrey movie? Not if it came out in 93. Didn't I believe you? When did, when did Liar Liar? Liar li- 93. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, way yeah, too yeah, early yeah. for Liar Liar, the Jim Carrey movie. Liar Liar 97. See, told Not you. Way too early. <laughs> four years. Uh, when, back then, four years was a lot to us. But uh, So, like in 93? I mean, that's the year you. No, you weren't even in high school yet. No. Kidding me? Yeah, yeah so like in, 90, in 93, I was finishing up my freshman year of high school or starting uh, my, my sophomore year of high school, depending yeah. on when in the year that was. Yep. Um, so four years back then was a long time. Oh, boy. And now we're yes. going to get comments from David saying, ah, oh, you guys are so young. You guys are so young. I'm so old. I'm so old. <laughs> And if you too, dear listeners, are so old, you can let us know by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Yes. <sighs> and then we also have Pete Graham, who was actually credited as Peter Graham Gaudreau, uh, plays Arja. He's the, the other uh, guy from the refugee that ends up on the puddle jumper. Yeah. Um. And he has his very own mini IMDb biography here. So let's go. All right. Pete grew up in and around Kingston, Ontario, and studied at Queen's University in physical education and theater before moving to Toronto to study at the renowned George Brown Theater School. He earned his Canadian Actors Equity Card in 1986 after performing in Mirandolina for Masterclass Theater Tarragon Theater, and in a lead role in Mass Appeal as Mark Dolson, the rebellious young deacon. Hmm. He joined ACTRA in 1987 and UBCP in 1991, but continued to work primarily in theater, in lead roles in plays and musicals until the mid-90s. Favorite stage roles include Dean Rebel in Trafford Tansy, Slim in Sam Shepard's Cowboy Mouth, and the engineer in Miss Saigon for various theaters across Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, he moved to Vancouver, BC in 1990 after a solo cycling trip from England to Egypt. That's huh. a fascinating cycling trip. Uh, and he started to work in film and TV then. Credits include uh, lead supporting and recurring roles in both, both comedies and dramas in Universal Slapshot 2. It, that's 2001. Benchwarmers 2 in 2019. Mm-hmm. He had supporting lead roles as oddball, iconic characters who were comically athletic. Mm-hmm. His, he drew on his strong sports background for these roles. 
Pete won the Rookie of the Year award for athletics in his first year at Queens. Ah. In the popular TV series Life Unexpected, he had a recurring guest role as the much-hated Trey, the abusive foster dad of Lux, played by Britt Robertson, and was the man who killed Laurel Lance's father on Earth 2 and Earth 1 and 2 in Arrow. There you go. But that that's a mouthful. Yes. So, uh, suffice it to say, Arrow is a DC TV show, DC uh, comic TV show about the Green Arrow, and Laurel Lance is one of the characters in that, yeah. uh, played by Katie Cassidy, um, and uh, in that show, Laurel Lance has a dad who is the guy who plays Dresden Files, I'm blanking on his name, uh, mm. you know, you know what I'm talking about. Mm, uh, sure. The TV show Dresden Files? I know that it exists, yes. Okay, anyway, I can't think of his name. I've read Uh, the book. Yeah, well, there you go. There's an actor who played Dresden in that. uh, He plays also Laura Lance's father. And he bites it. And he bites it. And Earth 1 and 2, so in the comics, you know, multi-use universe stuff going on. Yeah. uh, And there's an Earth 1 and Earth 2 and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. So, anyway, continuing. Pete continues to seek out interesting character roles like the creepy Gordon in writer-producer Bill Lawrence's pilot for ABC Dead Inside, the racist Sheriff Washington in A&E's Project Blue Book, and in his recurring role as the potentially murderous Gavin Crone on ABC's Rookie Blue. Mm. And he has a lead role as the misanthropic Donnie in 2022's compelling indie feature The Way to the Heart. He just plays a lot of bad guys. He does. In this episode, he plays a decent guy. Yeah. Uh, Pete's original song, Where You Will Find Me, is the hero song in 2020's Love in the Forecast, in which he also plays Cindy Busby's dad. This goes on and on and on. He has lots of stuff going on. Uh, He (laughs) continues to pursue his love of sport. He Uh has competed in the Vancouver International Triathlon and other land and ocean-based races, Ah. and is an avid Nordic skier. And ocean swimmer at oh, the same nice. time. No, oh, that's not yeah. true. No, no. Sorry. Sorry. That took a minute. <laughs> Swimming with cross country skis on. Uh, he is actively involved <laughs> with a number of charities and has received several community awards. Uh, very, so, very nice. Uh, you can go to IMDb and, and read the rest of that. Uh, but it goes on and on and on. So there you go. Sure. His yep. first IMDb credit came in the TV series The Commish. Yeah. In 93, he plays the character of Craig Butler in the episode East Bridge Boulevard. Yep. Gotcha. There you go. There you go. All right. Uh, the original air date for Letters from Pegasus was March 4, 2005, uh, which is the same as Reckoning Part 2, which we yep. covered in this podcast two episodes ago. Uh, and so if you want to know what the number one on the charts and the box office and all that stuff and what was happening at this point in time, go and listen to that podcast. Yep. Uh, trivia. Uh, just a couple of things here. Um, so, uh, David Nickel, who plays Radek Zelenka, actually speaks Czech. He's of Czech yeah. descent, mm-hmm. and he's fluent in several languages, including Czech. And so, he was actually speaking in that in Czech when he was doing all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he actually has helped the writers um, write stuff in Czech for them. So, they yeah. would write stuff in English, blah, blah, blah. And he would translate that into the Czech uh, for them. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so he was having fun doing that. Yes. Uh, 
this, I suppose, depending on what your point of view is, could be called a clip show. Sure. I would actually say it's not really a clip show, although yeah. there are clips. Yes. Um, but the clips that they do have come from the episodes Rising, Hide and Seek, 38 Minutes, Suspicion, Poisoning the Well, Underground, The Storm, The Eye, The Defiant One, Hot Zone, and Brotherhood, which is 11 of the 15 or 16, 16 episodes that came before this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and to those episodes credit, I mean, like, they used probably a grand total, I bet, of 60 to 75 seconds total of total. Clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, many of these clips were just saying, hey, you know, remember when, you know, I have to remember that, that people were dying and people were getting killed. And yes, so let's just have a, a five second clip of what that was, if even five seconds. Yep. Um, and, and then, of course, uh, you have Zelenka talking about the rising of Atlantis and you're getting all of those clips from that, which yeah. really, really uh, uh, helps to uh, enhance that, that clip of him talking and hearing him and you seeing oh, yeah. it and his, his actions with his hands. Uh, no, I mean, that, just, that, was, that worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I experience, and we can get your opinions on this, but I experience these clips as enhancement of the story not trying to pad out the story no i mean they padded it out by a minute yep um and now this episode title letters from pegasus uh was apparently inspired by the 1987 pbs tv documentary dear america letters home from vietnam yeah okay yep so uh this episode title in other languages the french call it last messages Mm. and then ominous yeah, the Russians and the Hungarians call it letters from Pegasus, and the Germans call it messages from the Pegasus galaxy. Aha, uh-huh. okay. They didn't want to confuse the galaxy called Pegasus from the animal called Pegasus. Letters because from Pegasus. Because if you had letters from Pegasus, you know, he could be <laughs> writing to Odysseus yeah. or, you know, anybody else yeah. there. Because, no, that's, yeah, you know, that's. Or maybe maybe it's a My Little Pony reference, and they're talking about all of the various oh. Pegasi from My Little Pony who are yeah. writing letters. Yeah. Uh, but but I mean, the Germans wanted to clarify things and make sure that we knew it was from the Pegasus galaxy. Yes. The whole galaxy is writing a letter. Messages from the Pegasus. <laughs> Dear Milky Way. <laughs> <laughs> It's been so long since. Well, no, actually, not. I, I can see you right now. <laughs> oh. uh, all right. Are you ready for the synopsis? Yeah, let's dive into this. All right, here we go. Okay. Don't panic. Wait. We what? only have three giant wraith ships coming straight for us, and they'll be here in two weeks. We need options. What can we do? You mean panic. Beside panic? Yes, beside panic. <laughs> uh, we could steal from other people. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, we could panic? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Oh. No, no, no. Uh, how about we all journal our last goodbyes and send them back to Earth along with all of our reports, things we've learned, and the like, using a high-compression data burst that will last only 1.3 seconds, because that's how long we can open a wormhole to Earth, given our current power limitations. Sounds great? Yes, let's do that. There you go. Okay. So, while Lieutenant Ford works on recording everyone's videos to loved ones back home, 
Taylor and Major Shepard travel to one of the planets along the route of the Wraith ships to get some intel. The two travel to a planet known by Taylor, and they meet an old friend of hers named Oren. He's kind of like family. He's not, but he's kind of like family. They warn him and his family of the Wraith. And then Taylor, Taylor says that, uh, you know, you meet us over by, by those trees over there, and we can take you and your family with us. And Shepard's like, that wasn't the mission. Dude. Dude. Uh, he's uncomfortable promising something he can't guarantee. Their mission is to gather intel and report back to Atlantis. That's their primary goal, reconnaissance only. He was even told specifically by Weir that they should not engage the Wraith by, for any reason. Okay, that needs to take precedence over saving this particular group of villagers. Suffice it to say, Taylor and John don't see eye to eye on this one. Back on Atlantis, Ford begins video recording various members of the expedition team. Carson struggles to hold his emotions together. Sergeant Bates doesn't even want to actually say goodbye to his younger brother. Dr. Miko wants to talk all about her supervisor, Rodney, whom she clearly hero worships at least and crushes on him at best. Well, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Ford says hello and goodbye to his grandparents. Dr. Zelenka tells all about how Atlantis rose up out of the ocean in check. Uh, you didn't say anything classified there, did you? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Dr. Kavanaugh records a message to General O'Neill discussing all the derelictions he believes Dr. Weir and her leadership team have done over the last year. Clearly, he doesn't actually know General O'Neill. Right. Weir sends condolence letters to the family of everyone who was killed during the expedition. And then she says her own goodbye to Simon. Don't wait for me. Move on with your life. And then there's Rodney, who records his very own message and gets more than a little bit rambly. Mm -hmm. But he does eventually squeeze in a quick little message to his sister wishing they had been closer and that he does and always has loved her. Meanwhile, Taylor and Shepard take their jumper into orbit and see the enormity of the hive ships. This isn't just three hive ships. It's an entire armada of Wraith oh, on boy. their way back to the Stargate. Their way is blocked when the Wraith open a wormhole to prevent people from escaping through the wormhole. Well, now they have time. So John plots the ship to where Taylor indicated the rendezvous with Orin and his family. They wait in stunned horror, watching the culling happen, knowing that they can do nothing about it. The two discuss their different perspectives on their situation. Taylor's leadership training and empathy chafe against Major Shepard's military training. As they wait, they see some kind of beam from the Wraith they don't recognize, and so John decides to go check it out. While he's gone, Taylor holds down the fort, I mean puddle jumper, and uh -huh. <laughs> she receives a scare as a Wraith walks right past the jumper, looking directly at, directly at Taylor, if not for the cloaking shield in place. The Wraith moves on, and later she sees a handful of refugees and she brings them aboard, but this isn't Orin and his family. Uh, but they do need rescue nonetheless. Shepard eventually returns to the, the jumper and is surprised by the guests, guests. Now, not long later, the gate closes, giving Shepard an opportunity to escape, but Taylor insists they wait a bit longer for Orin and his family. Taylor eventually wins the argument, and they stay. Finally, in the distance, they see a group of refugees. This is Orin and his family, and a bunch of others far more than can fit in the jumper. John resigns himself to help as many as he can, and suddenly Wraith darts start coming toward them. 
Everyone runs to the jumper. Many are swallowed up by the wraith machine. John and a young child barely make it to safety. They head back to Atlantis with heavy hearts and nightmares of the atrocity they witnessed. Back in Atlantis, Shepard and Taylor report what they saw to Weir. Dr. Weir then invites Shepard to write one more letter to the family of Colonel Sumner. And with that, the message is sent. Back on Earth at the SGC, Chief Master Sergeant Walter Radar Harriman calls out that they are receiving an unscheduled off-world activation. Lieutenant Colonel Carter walks in and helps with the threat assessment. They are receiving a message. The gate closes. Harriman looks to the colonel and asks who sent the message. Carter turns to him and replies, Atlantis. Atlantis? The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Letters from Pegasus. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Well, for being almost a clip show, this thing, as you said, is not a clip show at all. It's 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 technically a clip show because it's reusing shots. But um, I think this is by far the least clippy clip show that I've ever seen. Um, you know, the amount of new content is just like, you know, wall to wall. It's like 43 minutes long. There's 41 and a half minutes of new content. Like, you know, it's it's fine. Um, I thought that the idea was um, I thought it was a good idea. And I don't know how to feel about a couple of character developments that we saw. Um, The first one was when uh, Ford suggested going to that one planet to take their ZPM. uh, And then, you know, having Weir like look at him like he's trash. And the reason why I don't know how to feel about that one is one. you know, as the episode wore on, it clearly fits within the zone of military versus civilian decision making. Right. Uh, we see that theme a couple of times. But two, we we have had so little uh, of the character development of Aiden Ford that this moment just it in no way did I feel sympathetic towards his his um, recommendation at all and so when when weir looks at him with like dagger eyes i'm like i'm like yeah that was kind of a that was kind of a crummy suggestion um but it should not have necessarily been that emotional right so what do i mean by that if what we are trying to do is that we're trying to highlight that there are multiple rational decision paths to any problem one of them is very uh I'll use the word self-centered, but in the context of that, the self in this example is the uh, the Atlantis expedition. And then one is very self-sacrificing in the same idea where uh, we won't leech off of another group in order to save ourselves. If, if that's what that's supposed to do, and I think that that's a good that, that's a wonderful thing to be thinking about. Um, I needed that suggestion coming from a character that had much more development so that when they made that recommendation, I didn't immediately go quit being a jerk, you know, like as a result, it just looked like Ford being a bit of a, of, of, you know, several, several bad words are going through my head. Um, <laughs> right. Like it just didn't, it didn't jive very well. I was just like, ew, no, like that's gross. Yeah. Um, so uh, if, if you're okay, I would like to interject uh, and, yeah. and talk about that. Sure. Uh, I also felt, um, displeased with that scene. 
Yeah. Um, couple of things. One, I agree with you that that uh, the decision or the the suggestion that uh, Ford makes is kind of uh, despicable. Yes. Um, at the same time, what what bothered me more in that moment was not the deci- the the re- the suggestion in the first place, but but the the look that Weir and Taylor give him yeah. that he is absolute trash. Yeah, yeah, right. So she just demanded that they put options on the table, and the options can't be panic, right? And he's like, okay. "Well, here's an option. We can yeah. do this." Which That's fits thing that we can do. in the parameter of what she asked for. Oh yeah, and she's like, "You're trash." Yes, and and I, I, you, you are scum of the earth for even suggesting such a thing. Right now, putting the option on the table and then being subsequently rejected are both, in my opinion, good. Put it on oh, the yeah. table because you got to put options on the table, and what that does then, you put that on the table. Says, "Well, we could do this." And we say, no, we don't want to do that because we have limits to what we are willing to do. And that establishes that. And I think that's good. But, but to not put that on the table and reject it then leaves it unclear from we need all options on the table where our boundaries are. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that it was appropriate or at least not inappropriate to put it on the table. Oh, yeah. But was, what really bugged me is that, uh, uh, I mean, we finally get an episode. <laughs> We've got three episodes left in the season. We finally get an episode that actually digs into at least a little bit of Ford's character. Yeah. And the first thing we get when we do that is look at him like he's trash. Yep. And that's what I had a problem with. I- I've got a bad feeling that, and I really, really have no idea, but I've got a bad feeling that uh, Rainbow Sun Franks is not long for this series. I could be wrong. I could be dead on the money. If I'm correct, it's entirely the fault of the writers. Like, like this character has not been given an opportunity to, to show us anything. And the few moments that we have, they're clearly trying to find a fit where he's somewhat of like a tough military guy. But... It's not working. He's just coming across as a jerk. And it's not because the actor can't do it. It's because the writing is so curt that he only has one shot at trying to deliver this emotion in this line. Right. Right. And then and then the the writing around him doesn't do him any favors. The the characters around him react as they should. Right. The characters are doing what they should be doing. They aren't they aren't deviating from character, but they are they are reacting also, too quickly, um, we could have had a, an opportunity to explore. Uh, what's Ford's rank? I can never remember. He's a lieutenant. Um, lieutenant Aiden Ford as a character. Like this one could have been him. This could have been. This could have been the Ford show. Like it's a recon mission, and you're in a you're in a puddle jumper, and you are in uh, and you have cloak, and we have the exact same choice situation happened later in the episode with Taylor and Shepard, the exact mm-hmm. same thing. And I'll get to that in a second about how I also thought that was mishandled. Um, but you could have been with Ford the entire time and you could have had this character development where it kind of doesn't matter which direction he ended up in at the tail end of the story. We could have gotten to understand why he made that suggestion or we could have 
seen a little bit of uh of of diplomatic or civilian based decision making kind of seep in a little bit because we do like to see we tend to like to see that in our military characters right like we could have had some development but instead we just get him being a little snot and then getting smacked down and then that's it like (laughs) he he shows up as the camera guy like that's his role this episode he's the camera guy and in some cases he is empathetic and in some cases he is dispassionate and in some cases he is aware that he needs to leave the room like again like rainbow sun franks he's doing a great job with with, he's doing fine like he's showing a range of emotion it's great but he doesn't have anything to do and this story doesn't let his character do anything so he just makes that suggestion and we just look at him like ew you grab ew i'm gonna go hang out with the popular kids now like gosh that was gross so bringing it to then towards the end where shepherd and taylor make the exact same have the exact same thematic decision to make do they uh only take what is necessary for their own survival or do they put themselves at risk in order to potentially save others and um in this situation it's set up much better we have had a lot more time with shepherd particularly and a bit more time with taylor um but again not a ton she does kind of come across as being a little bit um irrational with uh with this not not entirely irrational but a little bit like you start to get the sense that when the cards have to be played she might end up playing it like well we have to stay here and fight the wraith you know what i mean like it 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 almost started to go down that path and then shepherd is put in the unenviable position of having to decide between uh, the necessity of the mission as given and the empathetic hum- human response to uh, people who are suffering, right? That, I think, is a wonderful question to examine. Absolutely wonderful. I think that the episode did a pretty okay job of allowing for that question to sort of develop. It it was a little linear, but it it wasn't I don't think it was necessarily like ham-fisted with it, and I don't think it it ignored it either. What I didn't think was done well was that in no way did we then explore or even have time to explore the effect that it probably had on John Shepard to um, change his mission from a reconnaissance mission into a rescue mission that then fails succeeds but fails right there's a difference is made for the 10 whatever 12 people that they got onto the puddle jumper but he then had to as a person a human being endure the agony of hearing all of the other people that he couldn't and not at a distance but right at his door and like for a minute i think you see that weight on John Shepard's face that um that the impact of what that what's happening there is visible there. Now, I don't know necessarily if what was being directed was I need you to show like, you know, human emotion of like of sorrow and agony that your fellow humans are 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 being lost or if what was being directed is you know, how would John Shepard react to a change in his mission parameters that he then fails. Right? Like 
like mm-hmm. like he wasn't there to he wasn't there to push back the wraith he wasn't there to save the town he was there to to look because in looking it will do absolutely nothing for the survival of that group of people and does that stink yes it does but as a person you know side note I, those of us who have read um novels that deal with like military type actions. I used to read a lot of Tam- Tom Clancy novels when I was younger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you learn that when it comes to snipers specifically, that it's pretty rare that only one sniper is sent to an area. It, it It's done, but it seems much more likely that they work in teams and more than one gun. And that, especially in civilian type situations, meaning police type actions, that if the order is given to pull a trigger, if the order is given to pull a trigger, that it's done in such a way that it makes it really difficult to understand who was the person that actually ended that other person's life. Sometimes it's unavoidable. There's trauma that happens as a result of that. But there is a system set up to specifically protect the minds of the individuals who are doing a duty that goes against their humanity. And so here we have a mission given to a member of the military and it's a recon mission and he's going to be there watching an entire world get eliminated. Like that's hard enough on the mind, right? Like this is a loss. There is an L coming for this planet and there is nothing we can do about it. But the least we can do is gather information about how it happened so that as this scourge keeps moving, we can find ourselves better and better equipped to actually push back. That's important. Information is power. That's really important. And so to change the parameters into something of a humanitarian aspect and then fail, right? What was the change? It was to rescue some people. Then it creeped into rescue more people. And now we're into the zone of, well, how do you decide who lives and who dies? On one side, That decision was, there's a dude, there's his family, they're like family to me, if we have time, we will rescue them. Boom, parameters, done, right? No more, and the parameter of, if we have time. Well, now we have time, says Shepard midway through, and then they end up scope creeping. And in creeping up the scope, you're damaging the person more and more, and Taylor didn't see that. Like, from Taylor's point of view, they have to save as many as they can all the time. That's noble, but that's not practical. And that's damaging. And so they didn't spend any time talking about that part where, like, like, what did you do to Shepard? And I don't know if we will spend time on it. That's a little bit of a deep read. Uh, maybe we will. Probably won't. Um, but I also thought that that was kind of the same situation as Ford recommending that they go to a different planet and take their ZPM and having everybody go, ew, gross. I think that that was kind of the same thing where it was like kind of um, assumed that being altruistic was always the right choice. And here you are being altruistic, having to listen to the grisly demise of people around you. Right. That's that's your reward. And yeah, in that reward, you also get to literally change the lives of 12 people. That is not nothing. That matters. That matters. That matters. That matters. The cost is damaging a member of the expedition. 
I'm I'm willing to go all day debating the merits of that one, right? But I'm not going to get into it because we could go all day. I didn't see the episode <laughs> right. address that cost. So the episode first just swatted down a character that they don't develop well at all in a way that was just too simplistic and too over the top. And as a result, I just I was agree- I was agreeing in the sentiment of Eo Gross because of how they set it up, right? Emotionally, I was there with you gross but as i was rationally thinking about it i was like wait a minute no 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 no. Y- y'all had to be a little bit better at that and then later emotionally i was there of like yeah save people oh gosh we couldn't save everybody but rationally we're like yeah we did we shot ourselves in the foot there we gotta be we gotta be better with that if we're gonna get by through this thing will we i don't know is this a tv show yes it is do they necessarily need to do that no they don't necessarily need to do that but if this was real life yeah you need to do that You better believe you need to be thinking long and hard about how you are using the team around you to get through objectives, because if you keep doing that stuff, they're not it's y'all are it like you don't have resupply coming as best we know, like this is it. What what happens here is is the long and the short of it. And if you burn out people because you can't get over the fact that that bad things are happening, that's a bummer because you're going to burn through this team pretty quick. So how did I feel about this episode overall? <laughs> the, the, the laughter is that I know I just got on a rant about the couple of things. I thought this episode did a really good job. Do I feel good about the episode? I feel fine. But I think that it did a really good job about what was actually core to what this episode was going on about, which was uh, advance the story on, uh, you know, on the B plot, I think I'm going to say. And allow the A plot to develop in a way that makes sense. These letters back home. And to have these vignettes of these characters showing them in various stages of emotion, uh, talking about various things that they want to talk about, avoiding various things that they want to avoid. Um, Each one of these little vignettes I thought was really, really good. And so for the 50% of the episode, which were the vignettes, I really liked them. Uh, I also really liked the extended vignette for uh mckay and his character and what he what he thinks about and you know uh, and and the gag when he keeps coming back to what he actually wants to talk about <laughs> yeah. leadership um like i i was there for that i thought it was great um you know that they got the message through it was great like i i had a really good time with that part i had a fine time with the b plot and then i had a couple of real like uh negative parts about two main things about the B plot. So overall I'm on the positive side of meh, but I'm kind of meh. So yeah, that was a really long winded way of talking about a couple things. Hey Zach, uh, what, what did you think about this episode? <laughs> well, I've already talked about some of it. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to respond to your comments on Taylor and yeah. And Shepard and what I appreciate. I, I, I hear what you're saying and I appreciate that. And I hadn't, really thought about the emotional cost this was producing on Shepard, and your points are really valid. What I appreciated, though, in that scene is that um, you have two characters who like each other, uh, you know, at least professionally. Yeah. I mean, there have been a few moments where you thought maybe some romance, but there's never actually developed anything there. So they just like each other. They're friends. They're good friends. They trust each other. Um, but we also have a character in Taylor that has been at least moderately underdeveloped. 
not yep. near to the extent as Ford, but has been underdeveloped. Um, and now we have a protracted scene here where they talk about some real stuff uh, about the 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 differences between, um, well, you know, civ- simplistically civilian versus military. Although it's yeah. not even that uh, it, it, that that's too simplistic to bring this into. Uh, but two different leadership approaches. Um, you know, one is a military one. Um, one is trying to be more compassionate and such. Uh, but to have them uh, go back and forth and wrestle with that, uh, I thought was good for the Taylor character. Yeah. And I okay. appreciated yeah. that uh, for that purpose, where where we get to really develop her character a little bit more. Um, we don't really resolve the issues. Right. Um, you know, in... In strictest parlance, they, they saved some people's lives, but they made the wrong decision. Yeah. They they risked um they they risked the mission to save people. Yeah. Um and you know that's that's awful. Um but those are also the decisions that that military people have to make. Yeah. Um, and never having been in the military, I really can't appreciate that to the degree that it has to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there is a reason why in Star Trek, you have the Kobayashi Maru test that all cadets have to take, yes. uh, you know, where you have that no win scenario where you do a, or you do B and you're going to get screwed either way. Um, you know, it it makes a fun story in that where Kirk, you know, resets the parameters of the test so he can win. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're all like, "Woohoo, good, good on Kirk!" But you know, I mean, realistically, there 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 is something <laughs> emotional that you have to deal with when you have that no win scenario. Yeah. I I sorry for the small tangent. I have never cheered for Kirk in that situation because because it wasn't about winning. It was like the Kobayashi Maru is not about winning. It's and they say it over and over. So every time they're all like, hey, 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 but Kirk won. It's just like, no, he didn't. You know, I mean, he beat something else. It wasn't the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. I mean, the 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 thing with I mean, that was brought in 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 Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that whole thing was brought in because they're now stuck on the Genesis planet and it appears that there is no way out, but um, that they're in that no win scenario. And yet it's revealed that uh, Kirk had a, a grander plot uh, going on there so that the what appears to be a no win scenario is, in fact, not a no win scenario. Right. Um, and and there's your your narrative reason for all of that stuff. I um, hate it. I'm I'm not I'm not debating that, Brent. <laughs> uh, the, the the point is that there is a difference between what appears to be a no win scenario and what is in fact a no win scenario. Yes. Um, and you know, rightly, we shouldn't just uh throw our hands up in the air and says, "Well, this appears to be a no win scenario, and therefore we can't win." So let's just give up. Um, you know, and and. There's, but then there's also the reality that emotionally, a no-win scenario, uh, as you mentioned with with Shepard, um, 
it it takes a toll on somebody uh and dealing with the emotional ramifications of that no win scenario uh is is important to deal with um we got some of that here right mm-hmm. john was was not going to win uh john experienced kind of a no win scenario in this episode um i mean he survived he had um you know he he succeeded his mission but emotionally he went through a no win scenario cuz he either sticks around and witnesses a lot of people die but maybe saves a few uh risking the mission in the whole process um but or he leaves and now he has to deal with uh, the the emotional ramifications of preventing Taylor from being who Taylor needs to be mhm um and so you do certainly get that no win experience there uh it's not it's not addressed in the dialogue but you do see it in his face um and you do actually see it um implicitly in that final because i mean the basically the final scene is him saying uh to sumner's family um you know he's an honorable man we miss him wish he was here he's gone i'm sorry um uh, and you know as you mentioned the the emotions of those little vignettes um, were very well done, mm-hmm. um, and and the pacing of those uh, I thought was well written. Yep, uh, and and well acted and well edited. Um, you know, from some of the the harshness of of uh, uh, Sergeant Bates' original uh, words. Hey, I hope we can go to Lakers game sometime. Blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, um, just denying that, and then the, you got that that little interchange between Bates and Ford. Uh, you didn't even say goodbye, uh, and then later it comes back, and he does. You do actually see Bates say, "You know, hey, goodbye. I miss yep. you." Yep. Um, you know, and and then um, uh, Weir's condolence letters to all of those families. Uh, that that hit hits home and. Uh, reminds reminded me as an audience member that you know within the context of the story these are real people who have really died and it makes yeah. a difference for the emotions and the daily operation of of the whole team yeah and so that was really well done I thought uh, I, I, I did appreciate the the comedy of um, of uh, uh, Rodney. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in his his ramblings uh, and uh, so it was just you know it was i think it was well done overall and th- there there are some things that i think were missteps that could have been done better um i don't have the same uh feelings on the the taylor shepherd mm-hmm. uh interchange that you do or apparently do um but, uh, you know, I think for different reasons, uh, we kind of come on the same spot on the, the four oh, yeah. um, weird stuff at the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that you're hitting it on the head. I like I really, really like the vignettes. I can appreciate how 43 minutes of vignettes wouldn't have worked. Right. Um, I probably would have been OK with it, but I'm not your typical television viewer. Right. You know, that that had been a boring episode. Uh, so they had to have something going on and the something that they had going on, I thought was interesting. And I don't even think it was necessarily poorly 
written. I just think that they picked a subject and went in a direction that they knew was going to work because this is TV. Right. And, but, and they picked a couple of characters that it's, you know, for Taylor, it's okay because she's had a bit more development. For Ford, though, it's, it was just, I mean, it was just throwing out like, you know, chum into the water or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it just, it, it, you picked the wrong character to say that line. You know, the, that, that, I don't remember if Bates was in that room, but that kind of line would have been better coming out yes. of Bates's mouth than Ford's yes. mouth. Because yeah. Ford, and, and this is the issue with Ford. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to talk about Ford, and then I also want to um, address Taylor again. So, yeah. Ford, um, what we have learned about Ford so far is that he's a young, idealistic military guy. Yep. Um, he's got great leadership potential, yeah. but hasn't had a chance to really develop that. Um, but he's also just a, a kind person. Hmm. He's mm-hmm. not a hard, rigid um, military guy. Yeah. Uh, and so to have him toss out something like that, uh, it certainly does something to develop his character, uh, kind of. But it also kind of cuts crossways against what we have seen before. And yeah. frankly, what we see later on in this episode when he's like, hey, I just want to say hello to grandma. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Um so, so there's some some uh, cross uh, development there that that doesn't work very well. Even if I think that putting the option on the table wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, uh, if the idea had come from Ford, I would have expected uh, the leadership cap- capabilities of Weir to not be so vitriolic against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a little intense. Uh, that was that was too intense. Um, and, you know, I mean, if if Shepard had said that line, that intensity would have made more sense. Yeah. You know, if Shepard had said, well, we could take that ZPM from that place. And she looks at her, you know, chief military guy, you know, the guy who she's partnered with very closely with this. And he's then, you know, to give him the the, the evil stink eye uh, makes more sense. Than, than for that kind of reaction to come when your lieutenant um, guy makes those comments. Yeah. Um, in, in like manner, um, Taylor's initial response of, oh yeah, hey, we'll just pick you up on the way back and we'll get going, seems to be not... It doesn't quite seem to fit what we know about the character so far. Mm. I mean, the... The desire to save people, the desire to care for and protect those whom she she loves makes sense. And that fits. But she knew what they were going to do. And she is a political leader of her people, which means that emotionally it might make sense for her today to say that. But the other part of her brain needed to. In order for that to not feel like it was coming a little bit out of left field, another piece needed to be put into place to get Taylor from where we've seen her before to let's jeopardize everything so that we can save these people. Yeah. Because uh, she understands the ramifications of all that's going on as well as Shepard does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So there's a lot of good things 
and some things that don't quite fit. Um, and unfortunately, the things that don't quite fit happen with those characters who are most underdeveloped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's unfortunate. So. I'd like to say, I'd like to pivot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not pivot too hard, though. Um, but pivot into the idea. Pivot back to the Kobayashi Maru, but not exactly. Pivot into the concept of no win. Okay. Um, because the story is, you know, it is hard towards the end there of like, what choice do you make? And, you know, now you have to now you have to deal with it. And I and I stand by my comments about how there was a good opportunity to explore that a little bit more in depth, but they didn't. And as a result, it felt like it was giving it short service uh, and to talk about that a little bit longer to sort of appreciate what that could be for a person or a character. But um, the in the same way that Kirk does not believe in a no win scenario, he's both right and wrong. In the context of the heroic stories, what he means when he says to the to the tune of that, you know, that that you can always find a way to, to, to make something happen or come out on top in the hero sense, that would be like um, Ford uh, directly disobeying his orders from superiors <clears throat> Starfleet and uh, going into <laughs> the town and like finding some ancient mirror and shining that beam weapon back up and, and destroying the entire armada. You know what I mean? Like, like right. it would have been. By Ford, been so- you mean Shepard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. I'm sorry. Thank okay. you. Yes. Just to clarify. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. But you don't get that. Like, you know, yeah. that that would be the heroic. Th- this is a no win scenario. Oh, wait, I'm going to bend the rules and turn it into a win scenario. And that's that's the that's the the. um, That's what we were told Kirk did. How did you beat the Kobayashi Maru? Well, I changed it so that it, you know, so that it worked. Um, I don't know if you've seen um, Prodigy, Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, uh, I saw the first episode or two. Yeah, the first two that it technically works and sets it up, but I thought the, the first two were dragging. It, it does get better. Midway through, one of the characters experiences the Kobayashi Maru. It's a good episode. In it, though, you're able to see a bit more of uh of what the test is. And, you know, if those that are up on the lore, especially within the books, they know that there's lots of different, you know, people have done different things to, 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 to try to, to try to resolve it and la la la. And as we were talking, I don't think I've ever seen anybody in any of the lore, get the distress call, turn their ship around and leave. Right. And we view that as that's not a win. And then and I'm coming at it from like, I don't know. It depends on what your definition of win is. If your definition of win is keep the ship, well, then a genuine computer program that is designed to create no win scenarios has something happen where you get a trap sprung on you. So bringing it back to this prodigy episode, like a character tries over and over and over and gets better and better and better and better. Like the like, it, it, you know, creativity, success. I mean, it's it's there. And what's happening is that the program just keeps bringing more Klingon cruisers like that's what the computer program does. Mm. And. So it is no win. You cannot fight. You cannot beat them because that's what the definition of win is. Beat back the Klingons. The computer game will just keep adding it and adding it and adding it until you finally you finally end. It's reminding me of like platformer games where the goal is not to get to the end. The goal is to just get as far as you possibly can, like because right. it'll just keep throwing things at you until you fail. And the goal is to get, you know, to keep getting better, et cetera. Right. You know, bringing it back to this thing, there is a win. The win is get home with your information. That's the win. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, same thing with the Kobayashi Maru. The win is 
don't get blowed up or I don't know, like, again, this is the point. This is the metaphorical point of that in-universe thing. What do you do when you're presented with an impossible task? Do you do your best to rescue people? And as you realize it's impossible, radio home or, you know, make something good happen as a result or or damage as much as you can of Klingons and then, leave. you know what I mean? Like, what what choice do you make? That's the point. And but at some point, what you're actually testing is, hey, cadet, what is your definition of win? Because that's the thing that matters. We're going to create a scenario that basically like you can't follow the rules to win on this one. You can't rescue the people and blow up the Klingons. Like, you know what I mean? Like that won't work. So what is your definition of win? Bringing it back to Shepard and Taylor, what is your definition of win? For Shepard, the definition of win is do the mission. For Taylor, the definition of win is save people, even if it's only one. And so you see those things compete, and I think they do a good job with that competition. I still have prickly parts about how it came to be, but like that's you know that's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that matters. That's the that's the character exposition. That's good. That's fun. That that raises it in in my view. Uh, did I have a better point than that? I don't know if I did. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I was following where you were taking me. I yeah, was just letting yeah. you talk. <laughs> I think, I think then, um, that while I'm not satisfied with what they did with it, I'm not panning it. It's not like they did a bad job. I think that they, the storytellers had choices to make because it's TV. And so they did. And, and they weren't bad choices. I, I, I mean, frankly, I think that they were in kind of their own no-win situation. Honestly, do you tell a story that actually gets into the meat of this? Or do you tell a story that is wonderful and 43 minutes of character exposition, but is really boring because it's just a bunch of people staring into a camera writing letters home? You know, like, what do you do? And so they picked what they thought was their best choice. And, you know, hey, they're pros at this thing. They, they write television for a living. They know what's going to sell. Um. I am a grumpy pants, so I'm going to look at it and go, eh, eh, eh. I'm going to look at this with the test and go, how could you have possibly picked this? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> when that's well, a little too harsh. It, it, it is clear as you watch this episode that the writers in the writing room was saying, okay, so we just had a big, huge episode where we learned that the Wraith are coming to destroy us all. Yeah. Yeah. And... We know that in a couple of episodes, we're going to have the big season finale and it's going to be a big deal. And it's not too much of an, uh, it's not really much of a spoiler to say nah. that the, the season finale is going to deal with the Wraith coming and attacking Atlantis. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Had you figured that one out already? <laughs> I mean, no, because I mean, that's, but on the other hand, it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> it's like, I knew it's, that was going to happen yeah, when I watched yeah, this the first time this 20 is- years ago. This is this is how this is how story works. Right. <laughs> but now we have this little spot here and we need to uh, just kind of pull it down a little bit. Just, you know, let the emotions flow. Just have something softer. Uh, so let's talk about writing letters to home. Yeah, let's do that. So that's what they were thinking. Like, OK. And then they also said, well, OK, we can't. Uh, we can't do 45 minutes of this. That's going to be boring. We need something else. And let's get some recon. And so then they started building that B story. Yep. Um, from, you know, like, like as they're putting the pieces together. Um, what they didn't do 
is sit down and think, okay, what are all the philosophical ramifications yeah, of this type yeah. of stuff? And how yeah. can we address that in 43 minutes? Yeah. They're like, no, how can we tell a story of some challenges with, you know, frankly, what they were saying is, okay, Taylor and Shepard go to this other planet. And we need to give them some tension so that uh, we can last keep that going tension throughout yep. the 45 minutes. Yep. What can we do? I know. Okay. Let's have it be a rescue mission. Great. Let, 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 let's, let's turn the re reconnaissance into a mission where they are now stuck there. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, and so that's how they built it. And when you imagine that that's how they built it. Oh, yeah. I have a hard time believing they come up with anything other than what they did. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You know, I mean, that, that, you know, and, and this just goes to show that, that our perspective and the assumptions that we take into a project um, dictate how that project develops and prevents us from even seeing other things that could have happened if we had a different angle of perception. Yeah. Which is a life skill, folks. Life Hell skill. Hell yeah. Absolutely. I'm in the privileged position of being a grumpy pants because I'm looking at this critically in the in the artistic critical kind of way. Absolutely. And we've talked about this before, but I mean, like one of the reasons why I want to vocalize this is because people will listen to this who are storytellers. And so as they're cooking up their own story, they can they can come up with a moment where there's tension between their characters and then they say to themselves, OK, I'm going to do it because they're stuck or whatever, you know, like this. But they will be better storytellers by listening to these different perspectives that you and I are bringing, that other people are bringing. They mm -hmm. will be hearing uh, like long standing, well tested methods of building story that work from a popular consumption point of view. You know, like it, it it's all it's all good. But if what happens is that in illustrating how this story technically, in my opinion, technically did a misstep on this one, if what they do when they write their story is that they now know that instead of stepping left two steps, they step up, they step left once and then right two steps. Like it'll put the story in a slightly different angle. They'll still be able to tell what they need to tell. And in my opinion, heavy emphasis on what those words mean, in my opinion, they will tell a story that is more satisfying, that is more genuine and more human. And that just make for better story and for better art. So this mm -hmm. one's in the can. This one's done. They did. They made their decisions. They were good decisions for what they had to do at the time. The, it, everything about it was good. These parts I don't like. I'm going to illustrate what those are and tell you why you can agree or disagree. If you agree and you want to tell a different story, there you go. There's there's an avenue to kind of think through. Yep. All right, Brent. Yes. We've been talking a long time. And yeah, it is now time uh, to move on to the next stage of yes. our podcast. And this is when I ask you, how many chevrons are you going to give Letters from Pegasus? Yeah. So I, I really did enjoy watching this one for sure. I really did think negatively of those two parts we've talked at length about. I am on the positive side of meh, but I'm on the pretty positive side of meh. I'm going to give this five out of seven. I think it was strong. I think it did a good job. But I think it was well acted, well paced, great graphics, especially for our quote clip show, unquote. I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed talking about the things that I didn't enjoy about. So, you know, it's good. Is it a six? Nah, I, I would have liked it more. Is it a seven? No, but it's a five for me. What about yeah. you? Uh, well, in a very similar vein to all of that, I'm going to give this a five and a half. Uh-huh. Um, it's not a six. Um, I, I think that the strength of this episode um, 
is good. It needs to be honored. There are things that I don't like about it. So five and a half. Yep. There All right. We have some Facebooks. Yeah. And we have a couple of emails at least. And I know that we have some predictions on the discords. Yes, we do. So let's see here. Okay. Are you ready for uh, Facebook? Yeah. Let's dive in. All right. We start with Sean. Hi, Sean. Sean says, it's always funny how programs show video camera recordings as either bad quality or in this case, random black lines across the screen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ford was never a particular favorite of mine, but suggesting stealing a ZPM was a no-go. Can this be redeemed? Yeah. Uh, McKay, honorable and brave. He's become sleazy again in this episode. He's probably Uh, my favorite character, although alongside Beckett and Zelenka. Did Zelenka have an Aqueduct generator in the background of his video? Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. Thankfully, Kavanaugh hasn't been in this series much. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I like the scene that looked like Independence Day with the blue beam in the black b- background. Yep. Uh, that was a good 10 seconds of wormhole activated at the end. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. was thinking about that, too. But, you know, hey. <laughs> um, P.S. Stray is now available on Xbox. You can control a cat exploring a neighborhood. It's fun. Disclaimer to be read fast. I am not endorsed or paid by Microsoft or Xbox and transmission. Oh, okay. So, there you go. Thank uh, you, Sean. He, Sean predicts a five chevrons from Brent. Oh, right on the money. And four and a half from Zach. Ooh, ooh, close. So close. Very close. Very close. Um, then there's some various comments about Stray being online, which is great. Yeah, go to Facebook. Uh, we have Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Adrian says, I find this an enjoyable episode. It accomplishes its job of setting the stakes and elevating the tension. Not much happens, but it shows the calm before the storm comes. In particular, I like the moral dilemma Shepard is forced into, as well as Zelenka's hilarious video describing the rising of Atlantis in Czech. Mm -hmm. I asked my wife to translate what he says, as she is also Czech, Mm -hmm. and she said he is passionately describing Atlantis rising from the sea. I think this is going to be a six from Brent. Oh. Very close. Close. And a five and a half from Zach. Ooh, right on the money. Well done. P.S. In the script, McKay made a mention to his brother, but the actor asked for this to be changed to sister, as he has a real-life sister that is also an actress. That's true. Although, yep. that, the first comment on that was made in a few episodes prior to this, and then it was brought back in this episode. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you, Adrian. We have Paul next. Hi, Paul. Paul says, I'm not sure I remember this episode. I'm still a bit behind your podcast, uh, a bit, but I'm going to randomly guess a four for Brent, because <laughs> he will have a random issue with it, that no one saw coming. <laughs> uh, probably true. <laughs> uh, Zach will give it a five due to a memorable moment that he comes across. Uh, yeah, yeah possibly. That's, that is funny. That, that, yeah, we do have our patterns here. Yep, yep. Uh, so this is past Paul speaking and hoping future Paul gets a kick out of your podcast as usual. <laughs> uh-huh. Very nice. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Paul. 
Uh, do you recall, Brent, is this the first time that we've had Paul talk? To- I don't remember. So, Paul, if you've written it before, I'm sorry. But hey, welcome, Paul. Welcome, Paul. Yeah. Um, and then finally, we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. Are you excited to see a clip show? I know I am. Uh-huh. I eagerly sat down and took a few notes as I was watching. Panic is always an option. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Number two. Technically, I don't think Rodney should know that Carter is a colonel unless Daniel mentioned it I... to Rodney off screen during the episode Rising when they were figuring out the Atlantis address. I, I also wondered about the continuity, but I just decided to let it go. Yeah. Uh, number three, I am officially declaring, having watched every episode of SG-1, Atlantis, Universe, Infinity, and Origins, that this is the best clip show, clip episode ever. Yeah, yeah, I could, uh, yes, I imagine that's probably true. And that's including Citizen Joe. <laughs> yeah, right. All uh, right, you know, uh, I contend that this is not in fact a clip show, but a show that uses a couple of clips. A show that uses clips. Which is different than a clip show, which tries to tell a story using clips. This doesn't this try true. to tell a story yeah. using the clips. Uh, anyway, that, that's my contention. Number four. Yep. For being a clip show, I've always wondered how well of a job this episode would do at getting someone watching for the first time up to s- for the mm. for the first time up to speed. All the clips are out of order and don't think they do a good job uh, telling the story or catching up a first time watcher. Yeah, I, I would that. agree that that's true. This, this is not a clip show that's actually designed to catch people up. Um, it's trying to do something different, which is another reason why I don't think it's a clip show. But yeah. that's just me. Uh, number five, I've probably seen this episode half a dozen times, and I can't remember if that blue light beam ever gets explained. I tried to look it up on mm. Facebook once, but there were so many comments and all the threads were out of control and I lost track of the conversations. Yep. That's yep. Facebook for you. Number six, I would have left Taylor there, report what I had learned, and saved the family that was on the jumper at the, at the time. Risking their life, even in a cloaked ship, is selfish. Mm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not an inappropriate uh, response. Right. Uh, number seven, that gate was open for a lot more than 1.3 seconds. Yeah. 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 Uh, I've always loved this episode, but don't think you'll like it as much as me. I predict fives all around. Very close. I'll see you next time in the Milky Way, whenever that is. Yep. In the meantime, I've got a tropical storm to prepare for. Yeah, yeah. have fun with that. Yeah, yeah. I hope it works yeah. out okay. I'm sorry to hear that this is happening. Yep. Uh, tropical storms on the West Coast are not supposed to be a reality. They're pretty rare. Uh, those are our Facebooks. Okay. Very what good. What do we have Thanks, on the Discord? Everybody. On the Discords, we have JD. Hi, JD. Hi, JD. JD says, barely a clip show with a lot of significance, keeping the SG-1 tradition alive. And look, Ford has something to do. Nine chevrons. Obviously, just kidding about the chevrons. I think this is a meh episode overall, except for Beckett's mom's foot cream. (laughs) Four chevrons (laughs) from everyone. Close. Very close. Yep. Uh, And we've got, um, I'm going to pronounce it dared, and I'm not sure, because I don't, I think, I think, uh. I can't remember if this is the first time. Whatever. Anyway, hello. No, I don't think it's the first time. I don't remember for sure. Hi, Dared. Hi, Dared. Hi, Dared, Dared the Mezzanine. Um, Dared says, I love this episode, and I'm hoping... And by the way, if I'm mispronouncing it, please let me know. I love this episode, and I'm hoping Brent and Zach will too, especially Zelenka's fabulous explanation. 
Six chevrons all around. Very close. Very close. Very, very close. All right. We've got dinner beef. Hi, hey, dinner, dinner beef. beef. Does this even count as a clip show? Overall, I quite like this episode a decent amount. All the members recording their videos is amazing and fits their characters quite well. Rodney talking about leadership still makes me laugh to this day. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dr. Yep. Weir sending a message to the families of the many people who have died is really is a really nice touch to the episode as well. I completely agree. Also, a wonderful surprise from Carter and Walter at the uh, at the end makes this episode even better. Now on to the predictions. I think Brent will give this episode a six. Mm. Quite close. And Zach will give this a six as well. Ooh. Even closer. Very close. Also, what in the world is that beam thing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a good question. All right. We've got Jen. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. To be honest, says Jen, I didn't expect much when I started with our episode of the week. However, I'm pretty glad that Atlantis continues with rather good clip shows. The premise of the episode is rather old, but I thoroughly enjoyed the execution. The emotional hooks were working for me, which is mostly due to the fact that I am a first-time watcher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The episode bordered between comedic and almost heart-wrenching elements. It felt like the writers could not decide which way to go. Mm -hmm. Almost like a hot dog pizza. I no, have there, there's only one answer on a hot dog hot pizza. Pizza. No. What? No. I don't know. I'll give it a shot. Uh, this one is a five out of eight chevrons for my part. It's Ooh. not the best, but I like it's not the best, but I had a nice dinner and felt quite good after watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Brent and Zach will likely talk about the heavily overused trope of sending a video message to loved ones and or even a moral discussion regarding Taylor's rescue mission. Might we unsue. Yep, yep. There it is. Uh, Brent will give this one a five out of eight simply because Ooh, he can. And go. Zach will rate this a four and a half oh, chevrons because so he's close, seen Jen, it a couple so of times. Close. Indeed. Indeed. And next we have Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Jenny says there's nothing Stargate's writer, nothing Stargate's writers like more than a recap right before the season ending battle. Back in the first season of SG-1, the clip show politics preceded the arrival of Apophis and Corel's ship to Earth. Here in the Pegasus galaxy, the Wraith hives are on their way to the city. So let's have a clip show. As most of the crew ready themselves to record messages home, Taylor and Shepard head out to do some recon which turns into an impromptu rescue mission as they wait for Oren's family. Taylor and Shepard argue about whether waiting is the right choice. They almost bite it waiting for too long. The intel is, is that the intel is that there are a lot of Wraith heading to Atlantis and the hives carry cruises and hundreds of darts. Back in Atlantis, the video ho- videos home develop some of our characters. I'm pressed for time. So here's the short list. Lieutenant Ford speaks to his grandparents, but not his mom and dad. Mm. Do we know if his mom and dad are around? I don't know. Uh, so my assumption on that is that Lieutenant Ford was raised by his grandparents. Yeah. Um, and which suggests that his parents are out of the picture somehow, some way, in some way. I don't know if it's ever talked about why or how. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that, that's my assumption. All right. So Dr. Beckett relationship with mom, let us know a little bit more about him better. Yep. Bates leaves a message to his little brother, but doesn't want to make it harder than saying goodbye. Dr. Miko Kusagani, Kusanagi uh, makes working with McKay sound like an honor. Is it a crush? Yeah, Zelenka gives a hilarious Czech translation of the city rising. McKay starts off with a lot of hair, a lot of hot air, a lot of hair, <laughs> a lot of fussing with his hair. No, that was a lot of hot air, but eventually leaves serious messages to Sam Carter and his sister Janine. We are lots of messages to the family of casualties and a message to all families of team members. 
most more importantly, a personal message to Simon telling him not to wait for her to come home. Yeah. And then Shepard to Colonel Sumner's family. No personal message to his own family, though. Mm-hmm. At the last call for predictions has been put out. So I submit a five and a half for Zach. Very, very good. Very good. And a six for Brent. Oh, oh so close. Again, so close. So close. All right. Then we got Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Overall, I enjoyed this episode. Rodney giving various lectures, Alinka telling his family all about the Atlantis' adventure, Atlantis adventures, and Kavanaugh being such a prick that he complained to O'Neill instead of messaging his own family. <laughs> These were great. Yeah. And hey, we finally learned something about Ford through his message to his grandparents. Maybe this is the start of the writers using his character more. Anyway, the wraith culling plot uh, didn't hit as hard for me, and I and it didn't fit the tone of the rest of the episode. But it's nice to see the wraith being built into a formidable enemy. In contrast to the interesting choices that were made with the early Gulwuld, yeah, mm-hmm. I give this one a five. I'm guessing a four and a half from Zach. Very close. Very close. And a five from Brent. Got mine. Oh, there you go. All right, that's what we had on the Discord. So okay. what do we have on the emails? Well, we have a couple of emails. One from Lydia Ann. Hi, Lydia Ann. And uh, Lydia Ann says, I love this episode. It's the music that gets me. Mm-hmm. I think the use of clips <laughs> while Weir is speaking, especially her message to all families, is something of the best use of clips, period. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. The Wraith are stopping for supplies in preparation for a long battle. Or a short battle and a long road to the Milky Way. Uh, Mm. Either way, it's bad news for our heroes. There is discussion and tension about means of survival, but we see Sergeant Bates and Lieutenant Ford humanized in their messages to loved ones. Shepard grapples with his decisions as unexpected military commander with his message to Colonel Sumner's family. Only Kavanaugh, with his fragile masculinity... And mansplaining is presented as unaffected in the shadow of the wraith. Mm-hmm. Yes, very true. Uh, Brent, a seven. Ooh. And Zach, a six and a half. Wow, yeah. I can see the rationale, but nope. Didn't yeah. get there. Yep. And then finally, we have David. Hi, David. Who has, dear Chevron encoding bias buffer. Yes. This is I a textbook this example of how to do a clip show. Mm -hmm. Use them to drive the plot without being the majority of the episode. Mm -hmm. Enhance what we know and show character growth, for good or ill, with appropriate usage of clips. As Brent might say, this is a delightful episode, and I had a great time with it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I do say that. (laughs) However, we can... It, however, can we legally and ethically give a clip show seven chevrons? <laughs> I mean, I didn't, but you could. He says, I don't think so. Uh-huh, but okay. we will let history be the judge if someone does. Uh-huh, Brent, uh-huh. six chevrons for Zelenka violating his NDA in check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Zach... Also, six chevrons for using clips to make us dislike a dislikable character even more. Yep, 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 yep. Very close. There well you go. Done. Very close. So, uh, thank you very much, everybody, for yeah, your thanks, predictions everyone. and your thoughts. I love this section. It's great. Uh, keep it up. Yep. Now, Brent. Agreed. Yes. The next episode. Mm-hmm. This is an episode that we've been waiting for for quite some time. Mm-hmm. It's an SG-1 episode. Mm-hmm. It is threads. Aha. Uh-huh. And I ask you, what is threads 
about. I know. I know. I know. And you know, and everybody listening knows exactly where I'm going to go. So let's just do it. Ready? I'm ready. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 travel through the gate to SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. It's a world that seems to be unoccupied. It seems to be devoid of all intelligent life from from one end to the other. As they're exploring this world, though, because it's curious that a gate would be on such a planet, they do indeed find evidence of sentience, and it is not good news. No, Uh they discover forming in front of them replicators. How? How could these replicators have survived the wonderfully magnificent onslaught attack of every single Stargate blasting out that resonance frequency and destroying them all on the Milky Way gal? How could it be? Well, there's not much time for that mystery, which will unfold, because as the replicators are assembling in front of them, they take on a humanoid shape. Is it Replicarder? Uh-oh. Is it Repla Daniel? Uh-oh. Is it just Replifive or any of the others? No, even more terrible. A creature so devoid of emotion as to chill the heart. So ruthless in their ability to execute on a vision as to be terrifying. No, before them, they see assemble Repla Zuckerberg. And as he stands there in this devoid, in this void land of no good, he holds out his hand, and materializing in his hand is a small device that you and I know as an iPhone or an Android, whatever, doesn't matter. But it wasn't invented yet back then, so it was a magnificent device. And he holds it and he says, would you like to talk to your friends? How oh. ominous! Oh, what could this be? Is this now the hearkening of a new chapter of enemies in SG-1? Join us and find out as we explore threads wow yeah what do you think do you think this is going to be hearkening to uh to a uh social media app that is probably just as terrible as every other one that's been before it so i think that whomever listens to this episode in 10 years from now yeah yeah, uh, yeah. is going to be like what the heck is brent talking about why is he getting so specific <laughs> like <laughs> context I don't think threads context. is going to uh, be especially successful. No, I agree. Uh, but uh, suffice it to say, as as terrifying as that might be, um, <laughs> that's not what this episode's about. No, it's not about Mark Zuckerberg. It is not. And actually, no. I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, right now, so 2004, five? What are we in? Early five? Oh, five. 2005. Yeah. Yeah, like Facebook is starting, like it's just starting, just now. Yeah, it, but it's not public no. yet. No, but it's getting close. Yeah. Or no, no, better said, no. it's getting close to being out in a lot of different universities. That's right. What it was. So like I joined Facebook, I think in 2000, well, I started seminary in five, joined Facebook probably in seven or eight. Yeah. I think I was on Facebook before I went to internship. And that was in eight and nine. I can't remember. No, I mean, I, I remember it because it was before I moved. And that was in mid 2005. And, but it was all th- it, was, it, be- it was because of my connection to my university. That was the only reason why. Yep. All right. Well, our good friend David has yeah. produced a very nice promo for us. 
that talks about the episode threads and what it's about. Yes. So shall we watch it? Yes, we shall. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG1. Today we are free. Uh This day is not yet over. The battle may have been won, but the war is far from over. Oh my. Oh. I want another plane of existence. Daniel Jackson must make a decision. What What can I get for you? I see. And which of these beloved characters will we say a final farewell to? How's it going? Oh, no. Do we know each other? I feel like I know you. Call me Jim. We ran into each other last time we were assembled. Nice to meet you. It's all next time on Stargate (laughs) SG. Okay. You have no way of knowing what is necessary and what is not for the grand design. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Grand design. Good question. Oh. Well, but that, 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 that was obvious. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. okay. I mean, Ball, Ball, Ball might be a little bit dense when he has to ask that question. <laughs> well, you know. Not the brightest ball on the tree. Oh. And uh, by the way, uh, I am aware that this is the episode where I got to go uh, find the longer cut, not the 43 minute one, but like the 60 minute one. It's about 60 minutes. Um, we will get it for you. We'll, we'll make sure that you get it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, yes, it, I yes, it'll be fine. So uh, tell us what you think uh, about this episode. If there's something yes. that we missed. Uh, email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com. Of course, go to uh, the the Facebooks and the discords and have those conversations there. I need to add discord to this list here. I don't. <laughs> I'm trying to update my show notes a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's kind of remarkable how not updated they have been over the years. <laughs> there, there's a lot of fragments there that, that probably there's could get trimmed. Tons uh, in any case, of fragments. Anyway. Uh, in any case, you can go to the discords. Uh, we've got a channel that's all about uh, talking about the the most recent podcast episode, which would be this one as you're listening to it. Yeah. Uh, unless you're not up to date in which. But anyway, you can still go there and have conversations. Yeah, you can go there. It's with, fine. With whatever episode this is on uh, and have conversations because that's what social media is about. That's Communities right. getting together and talking about things they love. That's what matters. That's right. That's, so, that's, that's right. With all of that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>